CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, this is Glenn Tipner from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, everyone, this is K.K. Downing of Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal, so you know what to do. Hi, this is Ian Hill from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Everybody, this is Rob Halford, the Metal God from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. On Sunday, August 24th at 11.30, the Independent Film Channel presents Z-Rock, a new comedy series about three guys... The girls love it. ...who are in a rock band by night... ...and a kids' band by day... <laughs> ...Z-Rock, based on a kinda true story, with special guests Sebastian Bach, John Popper, Gilbert Godfrey, Dee Snyder, Dave Navarro... Who here has banged Carmen Electra? ...and Joan Rivers... I'm very excited. You can't tell because I had the Botox this morning. Z-Rock premieres Sunday, August 24th at 11.30. Only on IFC. The independent film channel. Rock, rock over London. Zurich. Auckland. Dublin. Dallas. Milwaukee. Los Angeles. Sydney. Indianapolis. Tokyo. Seattle. Paris. Budapest. Berlin. New York. Ladies and gentlemen, two men who are committed to rocking you wherever you might be. John Astronomy and Mark Striegel. Welcome to the Talking Metal Podcast. Broadcasting around the world from TalkingMetal.com and StriegelsMusicNews.com. John, how are you? I am doing great, Mark. We have an exciting show for you guys. We have an interview with Glenn Tipton of Judas Priest. Yeah, what a great show. I know you actually were blogging about this show, Metal Masters. If you have a chance to get out there and see the Metal Masters tour, I mean, it's just, it's pure metal all the way through. Testament, Motorhead, Heaven and Hell, and Judas Priest. The night we saw the concert, Judas Priest closed the the set or the the evening. Um, but I'm not sure. Are they flipping back and forth? Do you know? I am not sure, but I do know that Heaven and Hell had to cut their set short by one song, Neon Nights, that night and also the previous night at the PNC Bank Art Center. They were having some technical problems. Oh, really? Wow. Did not know that. They sounded great to me. Yeah, we absolutely. Were, we were they, right up front, fourth row. Fourth like, row was unbelievable, but... Like you said, in our new blog, which is now up on Fuse.tv, this is a brand new blog. There was an old blog back when, when the TV show was running earlier in the uh, year, but this is a brand new Fuse endeavor with Talking Metal. It is called the Big Blog, I guess? Big Blog Thing, actually. Big Blog Thing, and they have a bunch of bloggers. They have 
asked John and myself to join them. John is actually going to be doing four blog updates a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I will be doing one every Friday. And the best way to get to it, I think, is you just go to fuse.tv and you'll see right there on the homepage the big blog, right? Yeah, it says the big blog thing, and sometimes they have a bunch of pictures, and sometimes they only feature, like on the homepage, one of the bloggers. But as soon as you click on the big blog thing, you'll see that there are different bloggers representing different styles of music, and Mark and I are representing metal. Yes, and a big welcome to IFC. What a great television station IFC has been through the years. I loved the Henry Rollins show, was a big fan of that. Uh, a lot of great music was featured on on that show. I guess that's done. It they had it for a few seasons. It's over. Uh, Henry Rollins brought us who Queens of the Stone Age, Chris Cornell, uh, Tom York from Radiohead, and our good friend Casey Chaos. Right, that a amazing. blistering performance on the Henry Rollins television show, which would, of course was on IFC. But guys, IFC is still a great place for hard rock and metal because they have a new series starting up which is all about this band zo2 some local new york guys and they rock and this is kind of sort of a true story is what they're saying right and i think there's some possible fiction mixed in and uh the cool thing about these guys is that they opened up for kiss and poison and i believe that was the rock the nation tour yes and again the way they describe it is based on a true story, sort of. Right. Yeah. So there you go. We look forward to talking with the ZO2 band on an upcoming podcast. So anyways, the show is Z-Rock featuring the band ZO2. It's a new comedy series. They are the rock band by night, kids band by day, and that will be premiering August 24th on IFC. You can go to ifc.com. For more information, again, it's going to be on Sunday nights. August 24th is the premiere, and it'll be 11.30 East Coast time. Uh, I think that's actually 11.30 everywhere, but check your local listings just to make sure. Check the ifc.com website. And they got a lot of special guests, Sebastian Bach, Joan Rivers, Gilbert Gottfried, and more. Dave Navarro. Funny clip from Dave Navarro in the uh, promo that opened today's show where he talks about Carmen Electra. So anyways... Let's get into a little Judas Priest, followed by our interview with Judas Priest, guitarist Glenn Tipton. Right now, this is Prophecy from the brand new double concept record, Nostradamus.
John Astronomy backstage at Jones Beach in Long Island with Mark Striegel and Glenn Tipton from Judas Priest. Glenn, how are you? I'm great. Uh, fantastic to be here. So the Masters of Metal tour is underway, Glenn. What can fans expect from the set list? We're looking at a lot of classics and a lot of new stuff too. Yeah, we, we, it's, unfortunately we're limited to time. Um, an enormous set at the moment. We're doing three from Nostradamus, albeit one is an intro tape, Dawn of Creation, Prophecy, Death. We've had to shorten the set a little bit um, because obviously we don't. Uh, we want the other bands to get plenty of time to play as well. It's no good, you know, us going on there for two hours and everybody else playing for an hour or whatever. So, we've shortened the set a little bit. We'll, we're definitely doing prophecy from the new album and Dawn of Creation introduces the set. Um, over and above that, we've brought a lot of uh, old stuff back or stuff we haven't played before. The Devil's Child, Sinner. Actually, Sinner's in the longer set as well. So, but there's a Hell Patrol, um, Hammer and the Anvil, Eat Me Alive. So there's a lot of stuff people haven't heard for a long time. And, of course, then there's all the classics, Breaking the Law, uh, Electric Eye, Painkiller, another thing coming, Green Man Alishi, Hellbent for Leather. So, you know, we, the, there's tracks we could never drop, there's songs we could never drop. But we, I think we've got, you know, a really good mixed bag. And we give people a good insight as to the new album anyway with the first traffic track, Prophecy. So uh, um, that's, at the moment, that's all we're allocated to play. That's the only amount of time we've got left to play, you know. But songs like Eat Me Alive and Sinner, those are real gems for the, the hardcore fan. I'm very excited to uh, hear those. I wanted to ask you, will there be, uh, I heard some talk about at some point you may do Nostradamus from start to finish. Is that like a separate tour? Yeah, that's what we'd like to do. We, uh, we're hoping to do that at some point next year. Well, we, we'd really love to do it. I mean, it's, it'd be a real event and we would choose special venues around the world, you know, like Carnegie Hall or the Albert Hall. Um, supplement it with orchestration, possibly, but definitely um, we, we'd be very excited to do to do it from start to finish, and that's what we intend to try and get together. At the moment, the tour's open-ended, and they're still putting dates in, so we don't know. We're, we're certainly working up to Christmas this year, and next year they're talking about a second leg in America and a second leg in Europe. So it's fitting the rehearsals in, really, to put something together. So I would think the soonest you'll see that is towards the end of next year, uh, but it's something we really would like to do. You had a lot of great instrumentation on the Nostradamus record, and a lot of that was you and KK on synthesized guitars. How was it uh, making that transition? Well, we actually wrote a lot of Nostradamus on keyboards, believe it or not. We sat there, and we felt, we felt it would give it a more operatic, classical feel. Some of it we transposed to guitar, some of it we played on synth guitars, uh, some of it we got Don, uh, Don Airy to play, you know, we've worked with Don before. And Don's a great friend of ours, a great musician. So uh, we, we mixed, mixed, it was a mixed bag, really, of, of how we actually recorded it. But um, we, as I said, we did compose some of it on, on the keyboards, which is very unusual for us, but it gave, gave the album a slightly different angle. We came in from a different, different approach. What I like is that, for example, in the song Prophecy, I can hear a little bit of the theme towards the end of the riff in Visions, and I wanted to ask you, how was it writing a concept album? You know, it's different than writing a song where each one's going to be a standalone track. Yeah, we, um, we, put, we, we did reintroduce themes, through, wove them throughout the whole thing to try and tie it all together. It was very important for us that it was fluid. Chronologically, it told the story, but musically, it, it, it was... It, 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 
you know, with sections set the right mood for the next part of his life and the next part of the of the project. So um, writing actually wasn't that bad. We, we were very prolific, very inspired by his life story, really. The tricky bit was piecing it all together, and that's something that took more time, actually. Well, not more time than writing, but as much time, really, to get that right. When you look at other artists, looking specifically at concept records, what are some of your favorite concept records? Well, I mean... You could call Holt's Planets a concept album, you know. Um, Concept albums can be about a thing or an event, like you've got um, Jeff Wayne, War of the Worlds, or you've got Pink Floyd, The Wall. So, you know, Mind Crime, Queens, right? You know, they're all good concept albums, and they all cover different events or different people. In, In our sense, we covered Nostradamus. His life was full of tragedy, not full of tragedy, he had his share of tragedy, and the church came after him, evicted him from, you know, exiled him from France, he found a new beginning, and that coupled with his mystery and alchemy and obviously his prophecies inspired us. So I think it doesn't really matter what your concept album is about as long as it's something that inspires you musically. What I think is cool is that this album is less about the prophecies but more about the life of Nostradamus. And how did you guys decide to go in that direction as opposed to talk about the prophecies? Well, we obviously dwell on the song prophecy and visions, but um, we felt that his life story just uh, was so interesting. And for a guy, you know, whether you believe in prophecies or not, um, is irrelevant. This guy lived 500 years ago, and stuff that he talked about and prophesied then still was pretty close to the mark. So it's someone who had a lot of vision, you know. Whether he could see into the future is, is up to you if you believe that. But for someone to come as close to the mark as he has done with a lot of his prophecies, he had a great vision of the way the world would be in three, four, five hundred years' time. Um, and so that's what impressed us, you know. It's uh, the guy's life, life story, really, and his intelligence, and he certainly made his mark on history. A band that's known for at least two concept records, Tommy and Quadrophenia, is The Who. And you had the privilege of working with, I'm assuming it was a privilege, uh, John Entwistle of The Who. Could you talk a little bit about John Entwistle and how you got to know him and come to record with him? Yeah, of course, I forgot to mention Tommy, didn't I? We had the same manager, Bill Kerbishley. Um, I went, when I started to do the, the, the first solo album, which was in actual fact when I worked with, with John mainly, I did... Two, two, two solo albums and um, me, John and Cozy Pals got together to make the first one and when we presented it to um, Atlantic at the time they said it's great, you know, you're working with great guys here but we're not sure if it's in vogue enough, you know, if it's, if it's fashionable enough. So at that point I had no choice but to go and work with younger musicians and that's where Baptism of Fire came from. And the songs that were left over were mainly John, well, John and Cozy songs. That's where the Tipton Entwistle Powell came from. Um, and I, I, I just have to say it was the biggest privilege of my life to work with those two guys. Cozy was a friend anyway, and I knew Cozy's capabilities, you know, as a drummer. He, Cozy Powell and John Bonham were the two greatest rock and roll drummers, in my opinion. Um, but I, I knew John was a good bass player because obviously I'd heard him with The Who and, and that, but I had absolutely no idea how good he was until he came down to a little studio called Mono Valley. We prized him out of his mansion, you know, in the Cotswolds and made him come down. He bought about six TV sets, four video machines, 12 bass guitars and showed up. And he started to play on one track, I think it was a track called Give Blood, 
And I just looked across at Coase and we just broke out into a big broad screen. He could have been no other bass player in the world. And he, he had every technique down. He, he, was, he knew his equipment inside out. He knew all... He, he was total fanatical bass player, very talented, very knowledgeable in equipment, latest equipment and every technique. Um, and such a great guy, a really quiet, unassuming gentleman. Um, and it's, it's a tragedy, you know, that John is no longer with us and, of course, Cozy as well. Cozy was just a brilliant drummer. So from my point of view, it, it, was, it was a great privilege to play, play with those two guys. So The Healer, which was on the baptism record, now, th- yeah. now that was a very heavy track. I know some of the songs on the Edge of the World record kind of borderline more rock as opposed to metal. But was John Entwistle into metal, straight-ahead hard rock? Totally. I mean, he could play, as I say, he could play any uh, <laughs> any any type of uh, of music, really. Jazz, um, finger-style bass playing, heavy metal. Um, and he was thunderous. He, he got a sound that went, you know was a dream for, for, for if you were producing the album because by itself it, it sounded a little bit distorted and, and not quite right. As soon as you put it in the track, it was twangy. It came to life. It filled out the bass frequencies, but it didn't cloud it up. It had got you know you could you could hear it. It, it shot through such a, a great technique and such a character in his style and playing. Uh, and he could play any any anything you know so um, yeah, John, John was a fantastic musician more, more, more so than I thought completely you know before I started to work with him now you donated the proceeds from the Edge of the World album and also the auction of your classic SG to the Teenage Cancer Trust how did you get involved with that charity um, because Bill Kirbishley our manager in The Who um, I've done a lot of work through the years with the Teenage Cancer Trust and um, uh, so I got familiar with with that uh, with it through that the charity through that it's a great charity because like it gives young people I mean young people are thrown in wards with old people you know and it's not a great environment really to do battle with such a serious illness Um, with the the Teenage Cancer Wards they they built brand new wards for the kids they've got the internet in there they can share their own interests at their own age you know their own music they're encouraged to play instruments. They're encouraged to just keep reasons to do battle with, with, with this illness. And, and it works, you know. Um, and that's the way I got involved in it. We did a, a, a charity performance at the Albert Hall as well for the Teenage Cancer Trust, which is good. Um, that was Judas Priest, though, you know, not me. And so, obviously, with John and Cozy not being with us, I, I wanted people to hear that album. But, you know, I didn't want anything for it. I just wanted people to hear it. So I thought it would be a great, a great thing to do is to donate the... The, the funds to that charity and I think John, both John and Cozy would have wanted me to do that That's great, the last time I had a chance to see you was at VH1's Rock Honors when you guys were honored at the very first annual Rock Honors and I had the pleasure of interviewing Shannon Larkin and he was so psyched and he told the rest of the Godsmack band that he had the chance to play with you on, on the first solo record, how was that? Shannon was a fantastic drummer <clears throat> I mean he he was, he was a lot younger then, obviously, and um, uh, so vibrant, so full of ideas. And he's the only drummer I've, I, I've ever known who's done a great take. And you go, oh, we've got it. And he goes, let me do another. Wow. And he does another and betters it. And you go, oh, great. And let, let me do one more. I've got another idea. He was so full of ideas. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, was, it was fantastic to play with him. I've never seen so much enthusiasm and energy from a drummer. He's fantastic. 
Well, as long as we're on the topic, uh, going through all the musicians that you've played with, how about Robert, who's now in Metallica? He played on Baptism also. Yeah, Robert, Robert Trujillo. He, uh, he's a fantastic bass player. I mean, they all were. You know, that, I was sent across to L.A. by the record company to go and play with some young guns, you know. So they kept me on my toes, but I think a few of the riffs kept them on their toes as well, you know. So it was a lot of mutual respect there and a lot of energy and a great give and take off everybody. So I enjoyed myself tremendously, you know. And Robert, fantastic bass player. You just auctioned off your classic guitar. What made you decide to do that? It was just something to... You know, there's very little someone like me can do for charity. You, you, I don't want to really go on about it too much either because I don't really say a lot about it. I don't, I don't believe you should. You should just do these things. And if you, you know, if you're a name person like one of the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, you're in a position to do a lot more, you know. But someone like me who's just a guitar player in a heavy metal band, you know, it's very difficult. So when I get the opportunity to do that, you know, I want to give something back, you know. But, and I've, I've earned a lot in the music business and it was just an idea to... To auction off a, I actually, I actually um, met the people that, uh, about a week ago. Actually, bought that guitar as well. You know, or what? You know, one of the guitars I've auctioned off for charity. So, it's just uh, a nice thing to do to be able to put some money back and give something to such a good cause. And, and you know, it's something I think everybody would do if they got the chance, or should do if they got the chance. Glenn, we won't keep you much longer because we know you have a show tonight, but when you look back on all the music that you've put out through the years, are there certain albums that kind of stand out as as gems and uh, that are a little closer to your heart more so than others, and what might those albums be? You mean Judas Priest albums? Everything that you've done. Um, I think there's landmark albums, you know. I think Sad Wings of Destiny was a landmark album. I think Screaming for Vengeance was. British Steel was, Painkiller certainly was. Um, hopefully Nostradamus will be as well, you know, but they're landmark albums, but that's not to under, you know, like, ram it down. Or the, every, every album's point of entry's got, you know, um, classics on there, that, that, like Hot Rocking or Desert Plains or Solar Angels. So even what people sometimes may possibly consider weaker Priest albums have always thrown up classic tracks, and, and that's what counts, really. Right. Well, Glenn, thank you very much for taking the time to hang out with us backstage here at Jones Beach. We are psyched to see the show, and uh, we really appreciate it. Okay. It's been been a pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure. Hi, this is Glenn Tibner from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal.
Okay, that was The Healer by Glenn Tipton, featuring Cozy Powell and John Entwistle on that song. That was off his first solo album, Baptism of Fire, and that was, I believe, the only song on that record to include John Entwistle and Cozy Powell. Of course, the album that followed, which actually sounds like it was probably recorded before Baptism of Fire, featured uh, those guys on every track. And that every album track. was Edge of the World, Tipton and Twistle, Powell. Amazing, both those two guys are gone. I know, it's so sad. I remember when, when Cozy passed away, and then, you know, not too long ago, uh, John Entwistle passed away. Cozy Powell, great, great drummer. Of course, a lot of work with Black Sabbath, played with Robert Plant. ELP for a while. ELP, correct. Yeah, that's right. Instead the of, cool thing about that was they could still call it ELP. ELP right. Yeah, Instead of have, uh, Palmer, they just swapped it out with another great drummer, Powell. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember uh, Keith Emerson saying, well, the, the, main, uh, the main thing they were looking for was a drummer whose last name began with, with a P. the letter P. <laughs> yeah. I think he was being sarcastic. If you're hearing this show on Monday night or Tuesday during the day, be sure that you tune in Tuesday night to catch our live show, which starts at 7 p.m. on TalkingMetalLive.com. That's Tuesday, August 18th. A lot of great guests. We're going to have ZO2 from Z-Rock, the IFC show. They're going to come down and join us. We have uh, a guy from The Sword. Kyle. Kyle. Kyle, Kyle. the guitar player from The Sword. Uh, These guys just got off tour with Metallica, so uh, got a lot of cool questions for them. Alan Tecchio, who's been in so many projects, we won't even name them all right now, but a few have been nonfiction, great metal, alternative metal band from the 90s, Hades, who all you guys know, of course, and currently doing some stuff with Seven Witches, amongst other things, which he's going to fill us in on. Correct. So, uh, good show coming up. Tune in, guys, Tuesday night. Yeah, let's check out a little Retro Demon We've been big supporters of these guys. They've been big supporters of us. This is the Slayer classic, which John and I actually can play on our instruments. South of (laughs) Heaven by Retro Demon.
South of Heaven by Retro Demon. Go support those guys. The track is on iTunes. Any song that you hear on the podcast, you should always check the show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Use those links to open up your iTunes and purchase a song. We get a little kickback on that when you use those links. And also use the link to go on over to IFC. There's a banner up on TalkingMetal.com. Show IFC that Talking Metal is sending them viewers and supporters. Cool. So, John, wanted to ask you, you recently hung out with one of the most famous names in guitar history. Tell us a little bit about hanging with Les Paul. Well, I hung with Les for two weeks in a row, two Mondays in a row, and basically Les Paul and his trio, which actually consists of three people plus him. It's uh, sort of uh, not a normal trio. It's really uh, four people, but they still call it Les Paul and his trio. They play every Monday night at the Iridium Jazz Club in the Times Square area, a little north yes. of Times Square. Yeah, Emily and I have actually checked them out there. If you're and in New York, Mondays, you said, yeah, right? Yeah, Monday nights. If you're in New York on a Monday, make it a point to go see Les Paul play live. He has a great, great band, too. Uh, Lou Paolo uh, plays guitar. He's played with Keith Richards and just a bunch of other great artists. And, and uh, they had a great piano player, great stand-up bass player, female, and uh, they're just awesome. They do two shows a night, and uh, the first show is a little more, um, you know, they play their tunes and Les tells a few jokes. The second show, uh, they often feature some special guests who are in town, uh, everybody from Slash to uh, to just you name it, have been there, showed up, and played with Les Paul. But let me tell you why I was there. Through the work that I do, with the great Gibson Guitar Company, of which Mark and I are actually official endorsees or endorsers. I'm not sure how you say that. Are we on the website? We may actually be. Uh, I got an email recently that listed all of the Gibson artists, and both of us were on it. Really? Yeah. Like so Zach hopefully, Wild and yeah, yeah. Peter Frampton, right. John Astronomy, yeah, and slash. Mark's. <laughs> yeah. And it even says like what instruments they play. Like, cool. uh, you know. Cool. So let's let's hope it makes it to the actual website, but. Here's why I was sent down there. Les Paul guitars were made back in the 50s, and uh, they still look just about exactly the same today. And what Gibson decided to do in 2008 was revamp a lot of the features on the Les Paul standard. And they have something that's called the Les Paul standard 2008 Visually, when you just take a quick look at it, it looks just like a regular Les Paul standard. But there are tons of new features, everything from locking Tone Pro's bridge to locking tuners to a really great jack that is a locking jack. Everything's locking on it. Strap locks. Uh, the pots have a, a circuit board behind them. And, and the, one of the, the coolest things is the neck um, has a... The word is not lopsided, but that's the only thing I can think of right now. A uh, strangely shaped neck really one of the fastest, most comfortable feeling necks that you've ever felt. And my job was to take Les Paul, his very first version of that guitar, the, the first one that he's ever seen, and go over all of the details with him. Is How that not like, cool? Yeah, it's awesome. How did you like it? He really liked it. He liked it. Uh, he, he particularly was like checking out everything. It was so cool. I like shot a bunch of photos and a little bit of video. We'll post some of those on the uh, website of him just really going over the guitar with a fine-tooth comb, checking it out, making sure that this guitar, you know, is is good enough to have the Les Paul name on it. And it, of course, was, and it's just killer. you got to check it out. Cool. 
Gibson guitars. I own three Gibson Explorers, a Gibson Songwriter Deluxe Acoustic, Amazing. which my wife has actually been using. She's uh, learning to play guitar. And a Gibson Les Paul, a Gibson Bass. Right. And you also have an Epiphone Les Paul, yeah. oh, which is made black, by Gibson as well. A black Epiphone Les Paul. And that was a very rare one. Uh, that was something that uh, you see a lot of Epiphone Les Pauls, but not that particular model. It was really cool. Yeah. Also a Kramer. Uh, which, which is also now part of the part Gibson, of Gibson family. The one, when I bought it back in the 80s, it was not part of Gibson. But uh, a couple other guitars, too, which will remain nameless for this uh <laughs> for this podcast yeah i've got a, a slew of gibsons it's it's nuts but i've been collecting gibson guitars since i was a very young child hey this comes in from velvet roses she's uh, from new zealand yeah new zealand yeah and she writes in love all of your podcasts guys that cc banana one got some of my friends and i talking and she says, ha ha, we really enjoy bananas, but while listening to one talk, it made them the best fruit ever. Looking forward to future episodes. Congrats on the new sponsor, which is IFC, of course. Keep on rocking. Thanks, uh, Velvet Roses. We appreciate it. Thanks for checking in from the beautiful New Zealand. Definitely, guys. You got a letter there, John? Yeah, I got one too. Thanks, Velvet Rose. Glad to see that... Did I say Velvet Revolver? Velvet no, Rose. no, you said Velvet Rose. Oh, okay. You were correct. Yeah, glad to see that we are expanding, you know, into the female metal. Yeah, community. a couple posters on the board are female. Talkingmetalforums.com. <clears throat> Check it out. John Cosmile. I got a letter here. This one is from our very good friend Jayhawk Jason. It says, "Hey guys, enjoyed two one two episode two twelve. Nick seems very cool. I loved hearing Z-Man's voice. He is such a cornerstone in the forums. I loved your commentary about American Idol. I wish you guys would do more similar commentary about music in general, especially regarding the new era of internet publishing versus the old model of record label distribution. You guys are artists too. I would love to hear your perspective. We talked well, a little bit yeah. about that on uh, one of the previous podcasts." Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, basically the industry was a little late getting to the whole download thing. You know, instead of embracing it in the beginning, they fought it, and that's because they saw it as something that was going to cause them to lose money. But people embrace technology, and and you know, you got to go with it if you're a business because. It's the future, and you can't fight the future. You right. Know? So, like they say in the X Files. Yeah. So it's it's uh, John Sykes actually who used to run VH1. Uh, I saw him speak recently, and he he said that the the dumbest thing they did was fight Napster. They should have you know bought it up immediately and turned it into a money making device. But instead, they saw it like, well, people are only going to buy one song off of each record. And we still want to sell record, the whole record. And I know a lot of people out there are like, oh, well, we love albums. Albums are so good. And there's a lot of great bands that put out a lot of great albums. But in general, when I go through my CD collection, I buy a CD or used to buy CDs when I was ki- a kid for one or two, two tracks. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's rare that you get the bands like Zeppelin or Queensryche or, you know, Merciful Fate or something where they're putting out a, an album that's great all the way through correct you know a lot of these albums you're just buying for one track and the music industry knew that all along and they didn't want to sell just one track but right. they were basically forced into it down the road with apple 
Apple's iTunes and stuff. That's kind of my opinion on it. I, I, I still think even if you do like that one track, the way I feel about it is you should go legally purchase it. You know, right. I, I, there's a Don't lot of people steal it. Yeah, there's a lot of people that think it's okay to do that. I, I you know, and and I know I took people off when I mentioned that you shouldn't just take some track to check out. You know, it's it's uh, you know, art is property too. You know, um, but it's interesting. You know, support the bands any way you can. You know, buy a T-shirt at at a, at a gig, go see them play live. If a friend plays you a track by a band and you like it. Go buy it. Support them. Right. Just pay $1 for the track. I mean, that's not a lot to ask for one song. A dollar. 99 cents on iTunes. And it's funny. We hear from a lot of musicians who who feel that they just can't make the money that musicians used to be able to make. And I'm not talking about David Bowie and Metallica and stuff. I'm talking about smaller musicians. Speaking of, a lot of smaller musicians sell their CDs on a company called CD Baby, which... Correct. I had the first CD ever for sale on, on CD, CD Baby. Baby. Yeah. I, you know it what? I Captain did T, not know that. U.S. US Aliens. Aliens was the first CD. It was in, it's in their database. It's out of print now um, as of a few months back, but it's, uh, it was the first That's album amazing. ever, and Derek Sivers will verify that. Derek, a good friend of mine from all the way back in high school, has sold CD Baby. Um, so to I haven't spoken with makers. him in a while. I saw on his Facebook that he is in Iceland. I plan to give him a call when he gets back. And so. I know Derek as well through you because we met at Berkeley College of Music up in Boston. People yes. used to think we were brothers because we both had uh, the same haircut. Although right now we have totally different haircuts. Derek has no haircut right now. <laughs> One other thing, bands like, I mean, even Kiss, for example, like their prior labels are constantly putting out greatest hits albums, but Gene Simmons basically said, you know, for him, there's no point in ever recording another album because there is no record industry. That's his quote on that. I mean, not verbatim, but uh, he basically thinks that there's no more uh, point in trying to even put out a record because... Yeah, no, I, and I hear what he's saying. I mean, when when I talk to to kids and not not only kids, some adults, and and you mention people like Gene Simmons, they're like, oh well, f him. He's you know he's rich, got right. ninety million dollars already, and that's true. And he does have a lot of money. I don't believe that that means that we can steal from him just because right. he has a lot of money. That's but that's my belief. And even if your belief is that it is okay to steal from rich people, which again I disagree with. Is this the whole downloading thing is not only affecting them? It's Gene affecting Simmons, all the David other bands. Bowie, Metallica, and Bon Jovi. Right. It's 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 affecting smaller bands. You know, and Arch he, Enemy, for example, they're selling off the you know leather pants that Angela wore for the tour after the tour because. And this is Angela's words, not mine. You know, she has to pay her rent. You know, correct. And some some bands are selling their guitars. I've heard of situations like that. And you know what it is is like. Say you think it's okay to steal from Kiss, but maybe there's another band on Kiss's label that is small that aren't going to get something that they could have got if that label would have made the money back on the Kiss record. Yeah. So no, it's a trickle down effect. Everybody yeah. is affected, and then these labels got a business, and they start dropping people left and right. And then that's why we're at the point that we're at Not today. Not to mention record stores are almost completely yeah. Oh, yeah. Gone. There's no more um, Tower Records went out of business. That was one of my favorite places to go. I used to 
when I was in college, I used to have like a thousand of those yellow tower bags. You remember those? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now Virgin, I believe, is going out of business in Times Square. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the company's yet. going out of business, but it is it has been reported that they're shutting both the Virgin Mega Store down uh, in the middle of Times Square and also the one down on uh, Union Square. Yeah. Wow. All right, enough of that. Here's another letter. Robert Lee King, always causing controversy Jeez. with his posts, but he has written in, Mark, I've got to give you major props, man. I never thought making a podcast was that big of a deal. But now that I've set upon the task of doing my own for the locals, I see how hard a job it is. Mucho respect to you, man. And this should be to you, too, John. Uh, Thank you. I spend over eight hours producing my second podcast, which ended up being only 21 minutes long. I can't imagine how much time you and John spend on yours. On a kind of side note, any recommendations on reasonable priced hosts for the podcast? Uh, I fear my humble efforts are going to be too much for my ISP to handle. Robert Lee King. Hey, Robert, thanks for the email. Yeah, John and I work our, our asses off on these podcasts, and uh, John does a lot of the web work. We usually kind of split up the editing of the actual podcast. Mark has been doing a little more lately uh, since we've been, you know, putting up a ton of stuff. Which is probably why they don't sound as good. But uh, anyways, yeah, um, it, it does cost money to keep them going. I mean, not, not a ton of money, but it does, it does cost a little money out of our pockets to keep them going. We don't mind. We love doing it. It has enabled us to talk to all you guys. It enabled us to actually get paid to do a TV show version of it for Fuse. And, um, you know, we're happy uh, doing this for you guys. And we do it for ourselves, too, because it's fun. It's fun. It really is fun. As far as hosts for the podcast go, I don't know. We have a lot of ours hosted on Host Baby, which is part of CD Baby. I don't know how the sale of CD Baby is going to affect that. But um, don't know, always GoDaddy. You can check into GoDaddy as well. Yeah, yeah. I really don't have any recommendations for you. Uh, what else? Um, we spoke about the Fuse blog. There was an article on Billboard that Chinese democracy is going to be available exclusively at Best Buy and or Walmart. Kind of goes back to what we were saying about all the record yeah, stores the big closing. record stores are out yeah. of business. Uh, Engve Malmstein is coming back to New York. You did that great interview Thank with you. him. If you guys haven't heard that, go back and check it out for sure. Uh, October 26th. I won't be at this show because we actually, Emily and I are expecting a baby in uh, October. So we will uh, probably be freaking out on October <laughs> on 26th uh, trying to figure out how to how to care for the little guy. So that's that. Um, I have a, a little thing to say that I've had bad luck. I was going to save this for a future podcast, but I just have to say that I've been having bad luck lately at fast food restaurants. Really? Well, yeah. Sorry to hear that. It's really bad. Today I had an ordeal. I, I will not name the restaurant, but all I said was minus ketchup. So what did I do? There, there was the wrong quantity. Then I ordered another one. They had ketchup on it. Then they gave me somebody else's food, which I started picking at and looking through, which also had ketchup on it. Then I gave it back. I almost had a fight with a guy who, whose food I accidentally took. And uh, then finally after... Uh, Large ordeal. Um, I got the correct food, so cool. That's well, not the where first we, time. Burger King is that what that bag? Is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. All right. So, so anyway, uh, that's anyways, my my gripe. I rarely gripe. You guys who listen to Talking Metal know that Mark 
usually Mark has more of an opinion than <laughs> I do about things, and I usually tend to keep my negative opinions to myself. But I have to say that I'm having bad luck with not only uh, one fast food place, but multiple fast food places. Including Burger King. Correct. Uh, there's a guy, Brent, from... Racine, Wisconsin, who sent in his CD, American Uprising, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk about that in a future episode. I think we need to get out of here right now. Um, big thanks to John Casimano, not only for running the Talking Metal forums, but for sending me Pack of Two, a book which I am now halfway through. Uh, I was reading Moby Dick for like four years. I finally you were like finished a literary it. It was expert. about four months, actually. I've not read any books at all. I always try to have for, one book going. I've only read uh, the Nikki Six book. And I've read the Slash book, and those are possibly the only two books I've read other than some Kiss-related stuff. Right. Cool. Anyways, let's end with Electric Wizard. This is Satanic Rites of Drugula by Electric Wizards. Good sludge. Check it out.
Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.